Welcome to the 26th episode of the National University of Singapore Middle East Institute podcast series, Boots of the Ground, Security in Transition from the Middle East and Beyond. In this area, we look at the future of warfare, which will see uniformed soldier or boots on the ground being replaced by private military company, autonomous weapon system, and cyber weapon. Having discussed in our previous podcast how the Russian private military company are playing out, Today, we are going to look at a different realm, the cybersecurity realm, and the role of artificial intelligence in cyber operation. I'm your host, Alessandro Duino. Today, I'm really excited to have with us the BOTG, Omri Labi. is a leading figure in cybersecurity. Let's say Omri was the O in NSO, and he's the founder and CEO at Orchestra Group, managing partner at Founders Group, serial entrepreneur and investor. Omri founded several tech companies in the media, telecom, and cyber industry. Thank you very much for talking with us today, Omri. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. My first question uh, is, let's say, relatively straightforward. Can you help our audience to make sense of the current threat that plague the cybersphere and how AI will help secure government and companies? The floor is yours, Omri. Well, thank you. So maybe the first thing to address is, is just uh, I think we can all agree that there is a massive uh, increase that we're seeing uh, of cyber attacks from uh, ransomware to attacks that are just meant to disrupt uh, the life of whoever is being attacked. Um, I think a lot of it is a result of uh, uh, the ever-changing and growing uh, threat landscape. Uh, we can see that uh, post-COVID, I think there was a real uh, increase in attacks. Um, and the reason for it is, uh, one, obviously, we're all becoming more digital. We're all working uh, remotely. Uh, we're all dependent more and more on, uh, on IT, basically, to, to allow us access to wherever uh, we want to uh, have access to. And... Uh, that obviously increases the space in which uh, attackers can operate. We're not uh, working like we did uh, 10 years ago. So, you know, when you wanted to work on your company computer, you had to go into the office and plug into the secure network. And the, the life of CISOs were, were much easier in that time. And I think the, the second reason to uh, allow this increase is the fact that uh, because it became so, well, sort of easy, to attack, um, I think we, we're seeing a change from opportunistic hacking to uh, literally a business model around it. So uh, we're seeing more government-sponsored attacks, um, uh, whether as part of uh, an operation or as part of a, a way to just make money. We have uh, entire economies of countries that are very reliant on this cyber attacks, and of course, like uh, any good place where, where bad things are happening, we also see organized crime joining it and, and turning it into a business model. Uh, they can uh, employ hackers who um, just work on scale. Uh, they do, you know, 5,000 attempts and five will be successful and uh, they'll, they'll charge ransomware for that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's it. And that's a successful day. Um, so I think this, this, Truly uh, sizable increase uh, in in in, uh, in the in the threat landscape is what allowed our world to become more complex. I like to think of it as a cyber 
being the, the new uh, arena, the new frontier where battles are fought. Uh, it's almost like a, like an evolution of the Cold War. If the Cold War was more human-reliant, then the new Cold War is, is cyber-reliant. Um, and I think AI will, will, will have a, a critical role in, in managing this new kind of threat environment. And, and the reason for it, uh, for example, in, in the company I manage, in Orchestra Group, we're, we're heavily relying on on AI-based analytics uh, to help us make the best decisions and tell the organization which way to protect itself. Because if, if you look at it, like I said, the, the threat landscape is significantly larger. And also the data points that are created in a single defense line of cybersecurity are much larger than they used to be. So, you know, again, back in the old days, old days being 10 years ago or less, uh, right? Um, you had, you know, your computers, your servers, maybe one uh, one uh, 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 wireless printer for, per floor. And today you have thousands and thousands of devices and, uh, and things that are connected to your network from CCTV cameras to washing machines to server points to heart rate monitors and, and literally thousands and thousands, if not millions of data points, uh, which is something that for your CISO, uh, it would be extremely difficult to uh, to handle, okay? Not only do you need CISO being, you know, code name for your entire cybersecurity defense team, but you have thousands of data points to take into consideration, if not tens of thousands or more. Uh, you have to, to, to make uh, numerous uh, calculations and uh, appraises and, and understand uh, the attack path scenario and where the threat is coming from and what, what's your weakest point. Keep everything up to date, which, which becomes an increasingly uh, challenging uh, issue to deal with. And I think AI is exactly what will We'll, we'll, we will be able to rely on more heavily moving forward because AI can 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 see a lot better than we can see because it can see concurrently through uh, numerous data points and make uh, much smarter decisions based on the information that it has already, uh, which is something that I think us as humans will find increasingly challenging, uh, particularly in the next few years. I find uh, uh, extremely important when you just mentioned right, that now there is uh, a new trend uh, moving from opportunistic attack on the web uh, to attack that are more government related. Uh, but Absolutely. in this respect, I think one of the problem is attribution. I mean, cyber attack uh, move at lightning speed uh, and cross national border in second. So uh, there is uh, a way that state uh, in a defensive system can even start to address this kind of, let's say, transnational challenge and able to pinpoint uh, the attribution of a cyber attack. Well, uh, just like you said, uh, borders, who are um, <laughs> kind of an archaic way of, uh, of, of uh, groups of people to differentiate, them, differentiate, differentiate themselves from one another, Sorry, that was a that was a tough word for me. Um, today, you know, it's uh, it's irrelevant. So if if uh, um, if, if uh, back in the day, uh, say a, a spy from eastern uh, eastern Berlin would would uh, walk over to the west, it would be immediately caught because it didn't have the right papers. It had to go through checkpoints that verify that even straight from the place that it comes from, it's already suspicion. Uh, today, it's it's 
it's incredibly difficult if you have a data packet coming from, let's say, a geographical location of North Korea. Sure, it can be malicious, but it can also be harmless. And 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 the the borders as we humans define uh, define them geographically play no role. Um, and yes, uh, there's no problem in in, uh, in navigating attacks from anywhere on Earth uh, to anywhere on Earth, and uh, it makes the defensive life uh, extremely more uh, difficult. I I agree with this, and in one other side I disagree, and I tell you why. Uh, one uh, of my favorite economists, international relations expert, Kenichi Mae, long time ago, uh, was used to say, uh, nation states are dinosaurs. Border mm -hmm. don't exist no more. And he was uh, making a call for globalization. But now, as you correctly say, uh, you cannot trace border in the cyberspace. There are countries like China, for example, or even Russia that are uh, drawing the line within the cyberspace. And this is a national territory and it belongs to the cybersecurity uh, environment of the country. So in this respect, uh, uh, I, I have a very strange and I think fascinating case in our previous BOTG podcast. Uh, and we were looking at a trend that is a private military company pivoting from boots on the ground to the cybersecurity arena. And we discussed with them how a company specialized in KNR, kidnapping and ransom, and they were used to negotiate ransom in Southeast Asia, from Vietnam to the Philippines, and then trade transitioned their business model to negotiating what you mentioned before, one of the emerging threats, ransomware. So ransomware payment online. Uh, the CEO of the company mentioned that it was uh, easier to negotiate online than getting shot while negotiating with the boots on the ground. So right. my question is, uh, do you think that uh, a PMC, a private military company, moving into the cyber arena are better equipped than just a cybersecurity firm providing this kind of service. And let me allow to reverse the question. Have you ever heard of a cybersecurity company adding boots on the ground as their capabilities to enforce the action from the virtual space to the real world? So I'll, I'll start from the second part, which uh, I personally haven't, uh, haven't seen a cyber company that added uh, literal boots on the ground uh, yet. I did see, however, um, in some uh, Fortune 500 organizations that um, the CISO, who is obviously in charge of the cybersecurity, also gets the responsibility of physical security within the premise. Uh, and the reason for that is not necessarily the military background or anything of that nature, but it's the fact that physical security uh, aspects of a certain compound or a building are often tied into the cybersecurity as well. So, for example, I remember speaking to a, a person who was a CISO of, let's say, one of the five largest banks in the world. Um, and he told us, and we were quite uh, surprised by it, that uh, on top of his responsibilities, which are obviously increasingly difficult, uh, he got the, the responsibility, for example, for the entire physical security uh, in, in, the, in their, uh, they have a, a compound of buildings in, in London. And uh, he was responsible for it. So anything from the carousel that lets employees use their tag to come into the building and all the way to uh, controlling the elevators and uh, the, the, the AC. And I think the reason for it is because that's also a way for cyber attackers to attack. Um, you know, the old school fashion way of, of attacking is still the most popular by just using a USB stick and putting it where you're not supposed to put it. And uh, 
and you have yourself a situation. So uh, I think that's kind of what led into that transition. Uh, but a literal boots on the ground and negotiating ransomware of uh, kidnapped people in person, I have, I have yet to see. Um, but I, I do understand what you're saying in which um, if somebody has experience in uh, negotiating uh, for a living, then they will definitely have the same uh, experience being useful uh, when negotiating with cyber kidnappers just as well as uh, as real kidnappers. In fact, I saw um, a case study in that for, in Israel it was quite recent that uh, one of the well, I believe it was an insurance company uh, that uh, had a massive ransomware attack, and the person that they brought to negotiate on their behalf had zero understanding in cyber, but he was um, a very uh, successful, let's say, negotiator for uh, a former, for, that was his position in the army, uh, to negotiate in, in extreme cases of uh, kidnapping and terrorist abductions uh, and so forth. So he brought his skills from the field to negotiate with cyber terrorists, which is basically what these people are. Um, so I, I definitely see that uh, happening. The other way around, like I said, maybe more limited to physical security in a premise but not necessarily uh, for cyber world per se, but who knows, you know, I, I, I get surprised every day. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if, if my opinion will change in a few uh, months or years. I find very interesting that you mentioned that this expert uh, uh, being an expert in human factor, but not yeah. uh, a cyber expert uh, is playing a role. And I think up to now, the human factor uh, and for a while is going to but maybe I'm stretching a little bit too much the narrative, but when we are going to have an AI working with the cyber terrorists and you have to negotiate with AI, then probably the human factor is going to be out of the window. But hopefully that's, uh, it will be a long shot. That's, that's going to be fascinating to see the first time that the AI negotiates with the human. Or you know what? If, if, we, if, if AI technology is going to become... A, very easily and affordably available, maybe we're going to see an AI negotiating with an AI. Uh, that would be interesting. <laughs> and very fast, I think. <laughs> yeah, very fast. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, so that, as we move at our discourse on AI uh, and on the trend, uh, of course, one of the biggest trends in the application of AI, uh, specialized AI, uh, is in the financial market and in fintech. And uh, Two of the main global financial hubs are located. One, where I'm here right now, and it's Singapore, and another not far away in the Gulf, in Dubai. So in both area, Singapore and the UAE, are bent in securing their digital financial market because it's critical for uh, sustainable economic development, especially uh, in, in the Gulf country, uh, where you see they're moving in a post-oil scenario and where high-tech and fintech play uh, a very important role. But as a result, uh, all around the world, everyone is looking for the same person, cyber talents. But the pool of talent is shrinking by the day. So how has been a very successful uh, entrepreneur and founder of several companies, how do you cope with this recurring problem? Well, first of all, it's a real problem. And I think, um, I guess every country has uh, its own set of challenges. Uh, in Israel, for example, it's very uh, obvious right now that there's a shortage, um, but it's, there's a shortage in all tech professions. Um, 
because the tech industry grew substantially, not just cyber. I honestly think that uh, the traditional ways of resolving it uh, are, are the ones that are happening and that they will eventually bridge the gap. So I see uh, a lot more companies offering um, entry-level positions that don't require any experience. There's a lot of on-the-job training, uh, which is which is great uh, because honestly, I think uh, you'll agree, you have a much more advanced uh, academical background than I do. Um, so you know that... Uh, with all due respect to the academy, at the end of the day, when you get your hands dirty, that's that's the experience that you really need for your job um, in many cases. And uh, I, I see a lot more positioning uh, positions like that being open. Of course, um, there's really no degree in, in cyber today, uh, but uh, there are a lot of professional courses where relatively short and relatively is looking for a career change. Change. Uh, you could be working uh, in McDonald's one day, and three months later, you can be working in cybersecurity if you do uh, the right, if you take the right courses, um, and you find an entry level position. So I think that's another thing that that will be very uh, substantial in, in pushing more uh, people into that uh, job gap. Um, but yeah, it's it's a huge problem, and um, I really don't see any. Let's say I, I haven't seen any creative solution there so all the solutions out there that i've seen so far are traditional but they seem to be you know working uh, like i said entry-level positions uh and uh quick uh, training which will enable you to obtain uh, a certain position rather quickly i like your very diplomatic approach entirely that uh, who knows does something and who doesn't know teach <laughs> but and this is for our young audience uh, uh, there are some business based uh, course that you can do it and you pivot night and day from a mcdonald's job let's say with a little bit more to a cyber yeah. security job can you give us like two or three I apologize. I don't have anyone that I can think of, but uh, you know, I, I I see commercials popping up for th these kinds of training courses uh, all the time. By the way, some of them are actually uh, courses sponsored by massive organizations uh, like you know Microsoft or or Google or Cisco, which which create their own little universities, quote unquote, uh, which train people because because uh, people know that if I get trained in, in Microsoft, there's a good chance that I can get a job with, with the organization. So uh, I, I can't. If uh, you remember me, the early days uh, of uh, aviation, in a way, they prefer to train at home their own pilot, not someone that have already have a course because they want to infuse the core value of the company in the way you manage an airline and so on. So it looks very similar in, uh, in this case. Uh, and maybe in the future, if I want to shift from academia, I can get a shot in cybersecurity. <laughs> I, I think uh, um, it's also very similar to the um, to the mid '90s in IT. That there was the same issue. IT became a really big deal, and there was a shortage, and uh, you could have get you could have got entry level jobs and a lot of training done within the companies themselves, uh, definitely within the giants of the industry. Talking time. about giants and about friction, but uh, not in the industry. Uh, we are witnessing right now uh, an increasing friction between the United States and China. And hopefully this is not going to lead uh, to a bifurcation of the digital yeah. ecosystem and to have to make a choice uh, if I'm choosing 
uh, a Chinese operating system or uh, a Western one. But uh, here in Singapore, there is uh, a growing perception that the cybersecurity market is increasingly leaning toward the East. And in your opinion, uh, what will you will leave Israel, especially in this Israel, well, nation is recognized both in the West and in the East as a leader in uh, in the field. So um, again, this uh, uh, this is purely my uh, my opinion, um, and uh, it's based on my on my personal experience. But uh, Israel um, has, in, in in a lot of subjects, not just in cybersecurity, has maintained. Uh, let's say healthy relationship uh, with both the West and the East. Uh, obviously, uh, geographically and politically, Israel is literally between. Uh, you know, we're, we're very prone to America, but we're very uh, we have socialist backgrounds uh, as a country. So there, there's a lot of uh, things that we see differently, but there's obviously a massive Americanization in, uh, of Israel in the last. Uh, 50 years. So uh, Israel has always kind of kept its options open. Uh, but at least from my experience, I think that um, in Israel, there's still uh, a significant leniency towards the West. Um, I think most companies I know and, uh, and, uh, and that I read about and that I know personally uh, are aiming for the American market, for the European market. Um, and are working with uh, suppliers from the United States and from Europe far more than I see in the East. Singapore, obviously, being deeply in the East and heavily influenced by that uh, arena, I can imagine that it might not be the same. But Israel, at least on that front, I think is heavily leaning towards the West um, on the business side. Politically, Again, Israel is, um, you know, if, if I can say that uh, Russia and China are team red and uh, the United States and Europe are team blue, that Israel is probably purple. Um, they cannot afford uh, to take sides uh, because uh, one superpower is, uh, is uh, probably our, our, our best ally, even, even in these complex and difficult times with the current uh, U.S. administration. Uh, and the other one is uh, is our is, is our next door neighbor, uh, which makes it a very uh, hard choice. It's uh, Sophie's choice of, of politics. Um, so, you know, at least for private sector companies, I definitely think that the the tilt is still heavily tilted towards the West. But uh, politically, I think Israel is somewhere in between, and they're trying to appease uh, both superpowers and make sure that they're not really forced to to take sides. Well, thank you. I'm asking you the question that I asked to all our guests, what we call the billion-dollar question. And this is, uh, what will be the future of cybersecurity management in complex environments in the coming 30 years? Well, 30 years. Uh, I read somewhere that, uh, you know, when people go to job interviews and they get asked, where do you see yourself in five years, that it's not a realistic question because uh, it's extremely difficult to foresee five years into the future. So 30 years, I mean, if you would have told me 30 years ago uh, on how the world would look like today, I wouldn't believe you. So uh, I, I'll be honest, it's an extremely difficult question uh, to answer. 
Uh, but I do think that in the in the future, um, uh, much like we opened the conversation with um, the solutions like uh, like we have at Orchestra that it's AI based, uh, will be more and more popular, because like I said, both the threat landscape and the level of data points that uh, a defense system has to deal with is just increasing every single day. Uh, and the complexity of the situations will increase all the time. And at the end of the day, um, I think AI will be very dominant, will predominantly rule through cybersecurity and, and humans will have to work with their AI colleague, sort of speak, uh, which will make probably 99% of the decisions for them. And they will just give them the guidelines which they wanna work with because us as humans work directly uh, with the infrastructure would be very, very difficult uh, the more we, we move towards our uh, more digital future. Uh, in 30 years, I'm assuming also we're going to see um, a lot more, um, I don't know, maybe space-based uh, uh, cyber infrastructure, which will be even more complex and will add another arena that we're dealing with, which I'm, I'm seeing quite a lot of movement uh, in recent years as well. Uh, but... Uh, Again, that's that's my prediction. But honestly, I, I think it's maybe something we'll we'll see in, in, within five years. But uh, thirty, it's uh, it's going to be wild. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for joining us today. We are always used to ask thirty and not one year for a simple fact that in one year, if you make a mistake, people will remember it. In thirty years, right? <laughs> again, yeah. it's really great listening to your insight. Uh, thank you very much again for. Does. And in closing, I just want to plug our following podcast that will be based on the evolution of Chinese private security company along the digital Silk Road. Stay tuned and enjoy a great day. Thank you very much.